and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh, David is not here, which is why I'm laughing, because I'm so accustomed to his line that I leave a gap and then forget that no one's going to fill it. But this week, someone is going to fill it. It's friend of the show, Jason Eakin. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Tyler. It's nice, right. nice to be back on the, on the ship, as it were. I appreciate you really embracing the nautical theme. Um, <laughs> Thanks for know. having me aboard this episode. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm already tired of it now, but that's okay. I got like 10 more. I, all right. Well, um, I'm going to call you. So nor- normally you're a friend of the show, but I'm going to call yeah. you the Commodore. You're the Ooh. Commodore of the ship. All right. Are there Commodores of ships? I don't. I know I'm the one doing the, the naval branding. I don't really know all, any of the terms. First mate? First. Yeah, absolutely. Because I can a new Ryan Gosling movie, First Mate. Hey, there we go. Look at you. That's the, exactly the kind of thing that our sponsors are looking for. Speaking of that, uh, this episode... <laughs> uh, this is so stupid. Okay. Uh, David, by the way, is in Germany right now. Well, and the, so, the sponsor's not stupid. Your segue, your segue. Oh, the sponsors are the opposite of stupid. Right. Um, and they're... but. Their decision to sponsor this is maybe questionable. Uh, maybe, Someone's getting fired. Oh, no question about it. Not me, though, because uh, I, I run this thing. Um, but I was going to say, uh, listeners, David is in Germany, and I know for a fact that if you email him, david at battleshippretension.com, and say that you would like to meet up with him while he's in Germany, uh, he'd love it. Just absolutely ask him and really, really lay it on thick how much you like the show so that if he says no, he'll feel really guilty about it. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is George Romero's 1972 film Season of the Witch, uh, which I will admit I uh, had not heard of up until uh, I was reading this. Um, So the story follows Joan, an unhappy suburban housewife who turns to witchcraft to help her current situation. Uh, Romero was no stranger to making sociopolitical points with his films, and Season of the Witch is his take on the nuclear family. Uh, So uh, if you want to check that out, there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. And then also, this week's episode is brought to you by the Dice, the Dice Enthusiast Presents Podcast, a new series based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During, Yeah, Jason, listen to this. Wow. You, you will love this. During that year, they were faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. So all of this, again, it was ostensibly a game sh- uh, podcast, but life just kept the, the way I, I life wrote it finds here, a way. Yeah, dice enthusiast, dice enthusiast presents uh, is a prime example of life happening while you're making other plans or trying to play a game. Wow! So that sounds fascinating to me. Uh, go to diceenthusiast.com or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com to listen. Okay, now then, we do have a guest with us today, uh, and uh, unsurprisingly, like he sat down. We started talking before we even started recording, and so we had to turn it. We had to stop that gold, and uh, you know, get to me and Jason making stupid naval puns, but that's all right. Um, so, okay. 
Uh, it's been a, probably in the area of five years, I guess, since he was on. Uh, he is the founder of the Blue. I want to make sure I get a Blue Cat screenplay competition. All right, it is Gordy Hoffman. Gordy, how you doing? I am good. Jason's good to be here, <laughs> and Tyler. Yeah. And uh, I was just looking at your your Criterion, Mister Arkadin. Oh yeah, that is so boss. <laughs> I just yeah. <laughs> it is it's dope. I just saw the other side of the wind. Really, oh. thirty five millimeter print at the Arrow oh. with. Um, I assume God, what the, he, well, no, he wasn't actually. It was, um, but his ascot was. It was no, his <laughs> ascot wasn't. But it was, it was. Uh, now I'm forgetting his name. The guy who's the really great film critic in town. He knows a lot about Wells, and he he knew a lot of those guys. But they had a a Q and A with the guy who assembled it, mm -hmm. the negative cutter. I mean, it was an amazing thing talking about. The guy's like, yeah, it was amazing. It's one in the morning. I'm editing. The, I'm completing Orson Welles' film that he's already edited 30% of. Yeah. And I'm listening wow. to him direct the actors uh, in the, you know, he's, he's directing the certain actors saying something to, you know, not saying much to John Huston, but other. I mean, it was really cool. And it was like, it was amazing to see it. I mean, it was really, it's really something that any, everyone's got to see. I mean, if you know, if you love cinema, I mean, it's, I don't know if I would want to see it again or, you know, need to see it again. I thought I did find it powerful. I thought the ending was powerful. I felt like, I felt like it obviously wasn't finished. Like he didn't get what he right. wanted. Yeah. And this isn't probably any, and I felt like they also, they also, it was an interesting conversation that they didn't really talk about the Q&A. They assembled this cut that was sort of like almost like an historical cut. Like they're like, okay, we're going to put together like maybe his, what he would be like a clean rough cut. But he would probably, they, were, they weren't thinking, oh, but he would probably take out 20 minutes of it. But yeah. they probably didn't want to go there. So they just yeah. made the sort of longer cut that says okay this is for history so it's more like sort of an everything in the kitchen sink type of cut not completely but you did get a sense that it was an interesting thing that only occurred to me after i was out of there and um alvaro rodriguez he okay. worked on machete and he was a friend of mine and he was there mm -hmm. and so we were talking about that thing of like what were they thinking about were they thinking about keeping most of it in there just for the for for history purposes right and then like but wells would have come in and been like man we need to get this down yeah, to about 45 that's, or something you there know? are a few reasons why because i'm i'm a big wells fan and have been for a long time and this is a movie that so many people including myself thought was like well that's just going to be footage fx right. feeney is the film oh yeah, yeah 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 he's the yes. guy who's done it. he actually he actually this is very weird but fx feeney did the audio commentary for for um towering inferno and it is amazing and one of the cool things about the is commentary it it, it's part of the it's part of the the dvd right the yeah. and i was watching all the disaster movies earlier in the year because there was somebody that wanted to, me to develop something so i will like went back and watched and it's great because through the whole commentary it's great commentary but when oj simpson comes on the oh, screen sure. he never mentions he never even <laughs> acknowledges him he just keeps talking and there's oj and he's like he he starts talking about the waiter or something <laughs> or the, uh, some extra or some random thing, but he doesn't 
mention the guy's name or acknowledge him in the movie, which I thought was like kind of cool. But it was it was a commentary that was made probably. 10 years after okay. that all happened so yeah and he's an la native so he just kind of said anyways it was fx feeding but i cut you off you were saying just the idea that um you know a lot of us never thought that w- that the film was going to be finished in any way and you re- and you would read every few years like bogdanovich or somebody said like okay we're going to finish it and then it didn't and so when netflix announced i was like all right i'll believe it when i see it but a lot of people said, you know, including Bogdanovich, said like the re- one of the reasons that it never was never finished is because everyone felt almost not bad, but they're like, how could we ever be sure that the, like this is not ah, it's finally completed. Like everybody acknowledges it wasn't. Not everything was filmed, and how can we even begin to understand how he would have wanted it cut based on the small percentage of it? that he did cut that by the way as he went along he probably would have recut that 30 percent. that's what he did and so that's the thing is i'm excited to see it i'm excited at the concept of a new wells film but i have a hard time even looking at it like that i'm just excited to see it as an opportunity to see orson wells direct john houston as an actor that sounds fun yeah. to me and i'm excited there's a lot of cool stuff in it and i mean sure. i don't think it's i don't think it's crap or anything like yeah. even close to that i mean it's definitely at times it was like you know obviously because it's just it is what it is it's a strange um construction you know yeah. that's put yeah. in front of us and it's like so you're you know but but there's so much in there that's really cool and and yeah. and they um the guy who made who wrote the music for it miguel legrand or mm. he did the um he's a famous composer but he wrote all the new jazz score for the mm. whole the music for the whole move new music mm-hmm. and so and he's famous for the um the girls of the 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 movie that was the La La Land was sort of inspired. Oh, by. Young Girls of Rochefort. Right, right. He wrote those. He wrote the score. He scored those. Okay. The the umbrella, whatever those umbrellas movies. of Cherbourg. Right. Yep. Right? That. Yeah. Yep. That's what it yep. is. And he is the composer of the Other Side of the Wind. New music. That's pretty that cool. That they come. That they did. That they. That an orc like a jazz musician band or whatever over in Paris, like just recorded for this movie so there's a lot of prestige elements yeah and the guy who edited it was a guy that was lived next to gary graver Mm -hmm. and who was wells's cameraman and shot all the stuff and he had like all these like hundreds of cans of footage in his garage and he would come over and show him and he lived in the valley he's like yeah and they wanted to you know so this guy the it was really really nice so overall i think it's it's not like some sort of it's not like a like the it's not like a van halen re- reunion you know <laughs> where you're like i wish that you hadn't done that you yeah know? yeah oh i didn't i certainly didn't think it was going to be that because no. he still has like a you know i still but it's a little scary. You thought maybe there's a chance it, like this is this could be really not work out. And he just shot it in a way that he I mean, there was always kind of an improvisational, not necessarily in the performances, but in just there would be times in when he was shooting Othello or something like that. And, and it's just like, hey, I, I cobbled together three hundred dollars. So everybody uh, fly <laughs> right. to Spain. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Shoot this. Yeah. Uh, here's some and, here's some sheets. Yeah. I found like <laughs> right. a place and that we can shoot the. Yeah. We'll just all wear sheets because we don't. I sold the costumes already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, I have two thoughts about all this. Two thoughts. One, the closest comparison I can draw to this is, Tyler, you know I'm a big David Foster Wallace yes. fan. And his final novel, The Pale King, right. was released after his death. And the cons- there's like a 10-page sort of uh, editor's note at sure. the beginning that says, basically, like, not only would most of this stuff probably have been edited down, and mm-hmm. I read it, and I still responded to it, but there's like... I'm going to say a 50-page scene between this guy and this girl at a bar like wow. who are just co-workers, and it just keeps going and going because he was sort of trying to write himself into whatever right. the thing was going to eventually be. Right. If he wrote 60 pages and it wound up being two, he didn't care. Right. But the editor had to put this whole thing about like, you know, we have no idea what else he would have written. We yeah. have no idea what would have been left. We have no idea what editorial things he would have responded to or pushed back against. Right. So this is really just sort of guesswork. And it feels that way. And it doesn't feel like his other writing. As I know you have a second point. Yeah. As a fan of David Foster Wallace, and you, and you did read it, but do you feel like you were just happy to get whatever you could? Or did part of you feel like, I know that he wouldn't want me to be reading this version of this. And that's the other thing the editor okay. said was like, <laughs> he may have hated the notion of anybody reading right. this because it's basically like someone's reading your first draft Yeah, and how embarrassing we all feel about our oh, first yeah. drafts. Um, I think for me, there was, it can't help but be tinged with sadness. Not in this, you know, this is a little bit different, Yeah. Um, but that was tinged with sadness just because he was gone at that point. Yeah. And so the whole book was sort of a, mm. a reminder of that. Mm. Yeah. But the second thing I wanted to say to get back to the other side of the wind is, in a way, when you think about Wells' career, how much interference, how many of his movies got taken yeah. away from him, is this not kind of the most fucking perfect thing ever? In a way, yes. And right. is kind of like this, this weird sort of perfect encapsulation of the chaos of his career in a way that no one ever could have predicted or planned or hoped for. And yet, and but I, I think that's a very interesting point. And what I like about that's it fine. is that so often people recut his stuff to make it less Wells. <laughs> right. In this case, they're like, People pouring right. over to be like, right. how can this be the most Wells it can yeah. be? Yeah, I mean, so that's like, what the editor said. He was like, we didn't have the 58-page memo from Touch of right. Evil yeah. Yeah, yeah. to like to tell us what to do uh-huh. with everything else. And so, but that is a great point. It's sort of like he, like the his final film was still fucked with. You know, yes, exactly. <laughs> it was still, it was still like somebody still came in, right. and and didn't do what he probably wanted to have yeah, happen right. in the movie. Yeah. yeah, I was like sitting there thinking because they were talking about finding footage in Paris and a vault and all this stuff, and I'm like, why don't they find the magnificent Ambersons? Yeah. You know, oh. you're just that's what you're thinking. It's like, where is the original? You yeah. know, that's those lost things. And it's just like they're because they still they continue to find stuff. And yeah. so it's like, like, like Metropolis a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the thing about Magnificent Ambersons, though. And I was going to say that, like, I still have a hard time watching that without, like, my shoulders hunching because all I because it's, it's still great, of course. But I still have this moment like 
this was supposed to be 40 minutes longer. That right. shot wasn't supposed to be cut right. up the way it was, you know. Yeah. Um, but the thing who is. Was it Bob Wise? Who was the. It was who Robert was, Wise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel. And he didn't want to do it. Like the studio brought him in. And he's like, I don't think. I don't think Orson's going to be happy about this. <laughs> which turns out he wasn't. Um, right. But it's one of those things that like. I've had to give up on the notion that Ambersons will ever be fully found because right. it wasn't merely lost. It was aggressively right, like, right, right. It wasn't destroyed. lost. It was, yeah. it was like, but the but the idea is that they have they found all these like negative pieces and yeah. stuff from yeah. the other side of the wind. Obviously, it's, it's obviously some, but the, but it was caught up in lawsuits in Paris and all yeah. this crap. So. So it wasn't in Orson's estate yeah. or anything like that. So right. maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe, you know. Yeah. I do guess I downs- also, yeah, go ahead. The downside of him, like, borrowing money from every single person <laughs> in the world is that everybody seems to claim the movies yeah. that he made. Right. Even though they made no money. But right. there is a sense of, like, I guess to, to sort of be the, to be optimistic, there is a feeling of the persistence of his artistic genius. Sure. Even when somebody... Actively cuts his film, destroys the negative. Even when he has to write a fifty-eight fucking page memo right. to a studio, there is a persistence, and yeah. that that you he is going to make the world reckon I mean, with him as an artist. I, I yeah. taught at you know I did a summer program at UCLA for high school kids, and I remember you know showing that we I showed them some movies. We had yeah. access to the screen, this little screening room, and they said you can use it and. So I showed them uh, Blade Runner, and yeah. they didn't like it. You know, they they didn't respond. They thought, I mean, some of them did, but it, I was thought, oh, that's a lock. You know, show it right. to them, they'll be like, oh, yeah. wow, this is amazing. And they were like not into some of the things that mm. might not age very well. Some of the, um, you know, the, when he grabs her, you know, in an aggressive right. way, it sort of rubbed them the wrong way. But I showed them Touch of Evil, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, this is the risky one. Yeah, it's a black and white. It's you know, this is a you know, a sixty-year-old picture. Well, and people might and, have been offended at the notion of Charlton Heston playing a non-white. <laughs> right, like, right, 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 right. Now, but they, to almost every single, I think every single one of them were like, they were watching the whole thing for two hours, loved it, hmm. responded to it. I mean, it was one of the That's coolest exciting. things because hmm. I thought, wow, if Orson Welles knew that they were, they were, they, they yeah. were teenagers watching his picture that long after and being like, that is totally Engaged, engaged yeah. watching the whole thing, yeah, and clearly an old pictures, black and white, and everything. But yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think the thing about the other side of the wind is, is that movie. It's still like what they did with it and how they tried to replicate whatever was edited. It feels like a well. It feels very much like a Wells picture, hmm. and it just feels in that way. That's one of the things. The first 10, 15 minutes of it, I was taken away. In that when you watch a Wells picture, you watch the trial or whatever, it feels like it was made last week. It That's, always feels perpetual. Since and Kane, I saw this mm-hmm. summer. I know people think it's whatever, but I still watch it and go, this feels like it was made just last week. Yeah. And that's what the other side of the wind, you still felt like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah. No one is doing this still. Yeah, They're still not doing this kind of stuff. That's, you know, I mean students not responding to Blade Runner like it's in color and it's and it purports to take place in the future and that kind of thing so they're gonna look at it sort of in the context of now whereas when you watch Touch of Evil because it's black and white it's from the 50s I feel like a younger audience 
would say would compare it to the, what they assume an older movie is, which you shouldn't assume with Orson Welles. Like right. the way that he shot, there was just such a vitality to it mm-hmm. that that you really can't compare it to other filmmakers of his time. You know, I mean, there's a reason that his the documentary that is going to be accompanying the release is yeah, "Love Me that. When I'm Dead." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, quote, yeah, I, think uh, the, I think the Arrow's going to play that too soon. Yeah, they but, they played it on Monday and. Tuesday they played the other. I thought I'll, okay. well, I'll see that documentary when I whatever. Yeah, that one doesn't seem quite as important to see in the in the theater, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. And as a as a big Wells fan who has a rosebud tattoo. Oh on my his god! Arm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't see that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's really hopefully I would look for the. I think it's good to see on the screen. I mean, that oh, was yeah. a 35 millimeter print. I think they screened that at the New York Film Festival. I happen to know the projectionist that works at the Cinematheque, and he walked by, and I was like, "Hey!" And he said, "Yeah, this is the this is like the second screening of, of the actual print." Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, I would definitely try and see it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy film. It's like it's like a 1960s psychedelic Orson Welles movie. Yeah. Lots of his his life partner or his you know his partner at the end of his life, um, walking around without her clothes on, and she's. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot. It's crazy. The movie is like, it's cool. It's nuts, you know? And one of the crazy things about it is that, you know, uh, this being the type of show that it is, you know, we're coming up on, well, I guess we're still several months away from making our top 10 of the year and all that. And this is officially a 2018 film, so. <laughs> I, I mean, definitely I'm, I'm get up there. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to feel sacrilegious if I don't put it as my number one, but I haven't seen it yet, and maybe I'll love it, maybe I, I won't. I mean, it's right, for me, it's like maybe five and six with a Meg or something. I'm going to put the Meg, <laughs> the Meg is somewhere. I assume then, you're joking, but no, I'm not. I, I mean, the, the Meg, Meg is, more. the Meg is, oh, the Meg is boss. I mean, the Meg actually has <laughs> several dramatic, like really, really world-class reversals in tension and suspense. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen the movie, you got to know what I'm talking about. And yeah. as a screenwriter, somebody who's, you know, been around, I mean, I've been judging a screenwriting competition for, I've been writing for that long. I, you know, I'm in the, you know, whatever. I have a professional career. I've taught UCLA. I mean, for me to see that movie and then you watch other pictures, supposedly prestige commercial pictures that come out of the American studio system and then they roll out and they do not have this stuff and they have a couple of moments in there that are, I mean, clearly it was very much and held the handrails of Jaws and I don't know. I I just I, I don't want to spoil for people because there was definitely if you haven't seen it yet. But anyone who is a writer or is a filmmaker and wants to like like remind themselves of what dramatic tension is and reversals are that raise the. I mean, everybody in the audience when I saw it, I saw it, and people were just you know when that some of those things happened, they were just jaw was dropped open. Yeah. That didn't happen with Jurassic World and all the million other movies <laughs> this year. You know, I boy, I was not expecting this. I've been defending the Meg for several <laughs> months. Well, exactly. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a definitely definitely a a, a few notches better than a number of movies that probably would 
you know, maybe anger your audience, but I would see, I would, you know, there's a couple of well, high I know, prestige I know. movies I'm not going to get into because I don't want to offend people, but it's like, but the no, Meg please, is, please do. Meg was good. I mean, that was a, I mean, there's things in there, but even Jason Statham, I mean, he, he knows how to classically handle as an action. He, he respects that he's got to sell these sentimental moments with, to, to nail this like arc of himself with this love interest and the child who was very good. Mm-hmm. And he nails those little bits of business yeah. that you, that, the, that we rely on. We rely on those pretend, those male action protagonists. We want them to also be able to do with respect and with integrity, those bits of business that carry those sort of the yeah. family at the end and you know have them play with the the child and without just i mean you know it you can can't seem- rely on everybody to do that he just he does it in a very class i don't know who he's reminding me of but the classic you know person the action person who does those little bits of business and it's the kind it of thing that bruce willis used to be able to That's do when, he, right, when he was trying right um right. and it can see and if you do it wrong because it that those moments you're right are in movies like this and if you don't do them right, they seem completely perfunctory. Right. They seem like an afterthought. Right. And yeah, there were moments of genuine, like for lack of a better term, mourning right. in the Meg, where these right. characters are, they're friends, and then one of them is lost, and they mention like this was a this was a friend of mine, like, and right. they're gone forever in right. a very horrendous way. Right. And and yet this film, in the midst of all that, is still remarkably fun. It, it behaved mm. in the same way, I think, in the marketplace, or for me, it reminded me of, the, what's it called, The Fighter or The Warrior? What was the Tom Hardy MMA yeah. movie? Oh, Warrior. Yeah, The yeah. Warrior. Yeah, and that was the movie with Nick Nolte, mm-hmm. and that was the movie that no one, you know, sort of, it was yeah. marketed a certain way, and it was an Oscar dramatic it was a yeah. prestige picture in those performances. It was like, yeah. who was the other person who played the, the two brothers? Uh, Joel Edgerton. Um, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. like solid movie in that way um, that, you know, I mean, the Meg, I don't think was on that dramatic level, but, but yeah, I just thought that I was struck with how they wrenched the audience in different directions. No one saw those things coming. That's true. And it was like, they. so there was a couple very masterful so like I said, world class like cards that were played dramatically with suspense that were never found in, you know, The Last Jedi. I mean, there was nothing that was like, oh my God, you know, it was. It, I like, think there were a couple things in The Last Jedi. Maybe, but I maybe. was going to ask. Well, let's not go down The Last Jedi, bro. Let's, <laughs> I was gonna, let's not do that. It's fascinating that that's where your mind went because I was going to not necessarily to talk about The Last Jedi, but. You know, I don't know how involved you are in online discussion about modern blockbusters, but it's uh, <laughs> very depressing. Right, uh, right. Not necessarily the movies, the discussion. Right. You know, like if you are somebody who likes The Last Jedi, as I do, right. uh, certain people will just say like, ah, oh, you're just a shill for the studio. Like, right, well, right. I, I didn't get a fucking cent. Right, 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 right. I wish. Right. I'll say whatever you want. Just give right. me some money. Um, but there's a big... There are some people that, and and as a as a, a screenwriting, you know, judge and, and that sort of thing, the concept of something sub- subverting expectations. Some people say that that inherently makes a, a movie more interesting, and then others actually mock that idea as if like, oh, just because it subverted expectations, does that mean it's good? And I think there's an argument for like, it doesn't make it good, but it can be kind of refreshing, right? Which will probably make me more okay with something. But in the right. case of The Meg, which I haven't seen, <laughs> right. 
Is the expectation that it subverted was the expectation that it was going to be bad? Yes. It wasn't, I it think wasn't, that's uh, what you're saying. No, I, think, certain, I don't think yeah. it was. I don't think it was like I walked in with no expectations and it was better than I thought. Like when I went into First Man, I thought, okay, this is supposed to be special uh-huh. or Stars Born is special, and right. it kind of fell below my expectations. Whereas I walk into another picture like the Meg, right. and I'm like, okay. I'm just going to see this because this is a movie that I'm going to go see no matter right. what. And then you, and then you're like, I was. It wasn't like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, uh, Lucas is is having sort of a confidence crisis, or he's yeah. gr- he's he's grown bitter over the last couple decades, or so, whatever the choice was, mm-hmm. however you yeah. want to characterize it. It was more just like in the Meg. It was just meat and potatoes. Um, where you lull the audience expertly, and then you blindside them with um, a a source of conflict that seems impossible to overcome, yeah. and it hits you like a lightning bolt, and your fate. You're like, it's you know, it's sort of like the end of Saving Private Ryan when all everyone's coming over the hill yeah. on the sides, and the way that that was cut, that last mm-hmm. sequence. You're like, there's gone and then yeah. of course you know i mean the planes come in it was kind of like that was convenient feels convenient not to think back on it but that sense of like you know you're all hope is lost and, yeah. and that moment it's the same thing that happens in jaws it's like where you you want to get the audience in that place where we love the we love the keep the people that we're watching and they are in a situation we have no idea how they're going to get out. I mean, yeah. when when the boat's sinking yeah. and he's slipping down, you're yeah. like... The shark well, hunter's gone. The shark expert is gone. Yeah. Right. Leaving only the guy afraid of water. Yeah, <laughs> and he's sliding, he's sliding down. I mean, you watch that, and, the, and that boat is almost completely underwater. Yeah. And if you're watching that for the first time, it's shockingly like... It's insurmountable. And mm-hmm. you want, if you can get a, a, a modern, visually literate... 21st century audience mm-hmm. to like buy, to be like they're fucked yeah to really genuinely say that and to be like and I care that they're fucked yeah. and I think that that's what that's not manufactured that's screenwriting and I mm-hmm. think yeah. that that's what The Last Jedi there wasn't a sense of like like oh no like what they're that's at a true. casino with a bunch of weird people I wasn't like oh my yeah. god like this is Bad, you know, like it, that. Those kind of things. So where was those moments? The that's sense what of, I mean. The it sense wasn't of me, genuine peril. Exactly. That's. It's just screenwriting, kind of mean potatoes. That that is difficult to. Yeah. It's yeah. not like that's easy to do. It's not easy no. to do. Yeah. And we can see that. We can see that. Like the example, I can't yeah. stop thinking of, is. I I think I like it more than Jaws, but it's me. But it's it's the example of. Uh, Toy Story 3, which is a movie I had sort of written off because it came yeah. out so long after 2 yeah. that we were... Tyler, As I am now doing with Toy Story 4. Of which, course. we it, it feels, But that just feels wrong because of the end of Toy Story 3. True. But when they are in the incinerator, spoilers for Toy Story 3, I guess. Yeah. But when they're in the incinerator and these toys are taking their hands and like just looking at this fire that they're moving toward and you're like nothing in you goes well it's a g-rated movie they're gonna uh, obviously something's gonna happen you go wow it's really the i guess this is the end yeah right 
You don't, you don't, because you're emotionally invested to your point, you don't stop and think, well, surely something's going to happen to save yeah. them. You are just, that's successful screenwriting. That's what I mean. It's not, it's just success. It's successful writing. I mean, it's like you, these pictures where it's like, when you're going into Black Panther and he's having that battle with the with the antagonist that first time to mm -hmm. be the ruler of everything, there's some unexpected shit. And then yeah. when it goes down, you're like, you're when like, he, where's this movie going? Right. When you just thrown the over a waterfall. Yeah, you're just like, what is yeah. going on? Where are yeah. we going? We have been thrown into the abyss. That's Ryan Coogler. That's the same thing that happened in Creed. I mean, it's like it's like you want you want to keep the audience. You have mm -hmm. to be ahead of your audience. The audience has to be like, I can't figure out where I'm going, and I'm right in the moment of the story. Yeah. And that's the thing is this this is why the concept of subverting expectations is there is a virtue to it because, you know, uh, I'd say the three of us, we see a lot of movies. And at this point, we kind of ha we, we're familiar with formula and that sort of thing. And so if a movie can make you forget formula, franchise, all this stuff that we bring into a movie, if it can make you forget that black, that moment in Black Panther that you're talking about for a moment, I thought. Okay, wait a minute. Uh, are they going to have like his sister be the Black Panther and like and they completely uh -huh. like because he's not a big enough character that they won't do away with them and pivot to this other thing where it's like now not only is it like, you know, this African American hero, but it's a female now. And I thought, are they going to do that cuz I don't see how he gets out of this. Right. And, and like, and I'm trying yeah. to, and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be this cynical, uh, world weary critic, but it got me, you know? And I feel like the great movies make you yeah. forget all this bullshit that you're, that you're coming into the movie with and, and knowledge of the, there's you know, moments like that in the yeah. Avengers picture where it's oh. like Stark gets stabbed and then he's yeah. gut. And then there's yeah. that extra little gut when they take, and you're just like, this is real. We're all in the audience yeah. going, this is happening. What's yeah. happening? Yeah. What's next? What's five seconds from now? And that is, that's that's great writing. And when, yeah. and when that's not happening, you, mm -hmm. you, you, that's elbow grease. That's simply yeah. elbow grease. It's, it's, it's working hard on the script, having the time yeah. to develop, having the right people yeah. in charge of development. And you, and we, we, we just have to be patient for that stuff to happen. And I love seeing that. And you find it in unexpected places, like yeah. a sequence in the Meg, a couple sequences in the Meg where you go, yeah. that is what Jaws was doing. And this is in this Jason Statham and like joke shark picture that most right. people on the East side of Los Angeles are are not going to go see it the arc light yeah. and other people are going to see it and then but they're but that is so instructive for it i love seeing that because it reminds me it's like work hard for those moments when i'm when i'm writing my own stuff and it's, good screenwriting is not above something a movie like that yeah that right. movie needs it just as much and everyone who thought like i did like seeing the trailers you're like so this is basically a type of Sharknado picture that's being released in theaters. Right. See, I had no expectation. Because it has Chinese backing. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah, but... But it had that sort it's of over-the-toppy right. Sharknado. Yeah. Right, so you don't expect that people are professionals and that they value their craft and that they actually went into this and said, hey, let's make a good movie. Let's actually... Well, Let's have stakes. Yeah. Let's have real emotion. Yeah. Let's have real peril in this. And it's, it's and the guy same. said the guy said like I want to make the second best shark movie ever. 
I mean, that was they, they, the director. The director really is, cool. was an was a guy who is the director. Yeah, he's like a little. He's oh, been around, and I think he actually Turtle Top. John he Turtle had a, Yeah, he had an, oh, he had an okay. opportunity. Yeah, Die Hard. What did he direct? He he did the National Treasure movies. Okay, yeah. yeah. So there was a there was a somebody there, and he had the perspective of like obviously a, a career that's been a while, and he had the he obviously seventies movie. You know, he's, and it, it, you saw that on the picture. You were like, this is not. Mm-hmm. Somebody who made a short, did an indie, and then sort of did this or something. Yeah, right. it's it's this idea, and it's something that I sometimes say, probably more often than I should, that like such and such a movie is better or looks better or sounds better than it has any right to. Now that's me right. ultimately saying that right. we all have an expectation for this movie. The Meg is a great example of that, and they put stuff in there that nobody expected. That nobody required, but it's just an it's a nice addition, and it sets it apart from movies that don't do that, that only ever do what you expect. Uh, I'm reminded of Jaws in that, you know, when you see that scene where Hooper is is exploring the boat and the head pops out, that wasn't originally in the script or in the film. It was that when he swims down there, the head's already there, mm. and then Spielberg's like, no. We can get another scare out of this, yeah. Right. And rather than the head already being there, it pops out, and they had to reshoot and do all that in a swimming pool. They had to do all that, and it's it's the instinct of someone who's like, why give people only exactly what they expect? Why not just yeah. add a little bit more to it? And I'll say this: if you'd asked me forty five minutes ago, hey. Are you going to go from other side of the wind into a long discussion of the Meg? I would have said, no, you're crazy. Uh, get out of my house. But uh, but that's the thing is, and it's interesting because one film was barely written at all. And the other, you know, you're talking about is, is a screenplay that no one ever would have thought of. No one would have given a second glance to. But when you watch it and look at it as a certain type of film, and I compare it to... I don't know if you like this movie or not. I compare the Meg to Congo, I th- where you are the endangered species, Jason. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, that's that's the tagline, and I always have to say it if I'm talking about Congo. Um, it's this kind of old time scary adventure movie with a with an ensemble cast, and you know not all of them are going to make it, but you kind of like everybody, and you like spending right. time with these right. people, and it's just enjoyable. It's a good picture, and it, honestly, it's like it's the same cur- same currency as everything else. It's like. If you if you generate emotion and um, a lot an abundance of it in the audience, you make a profit. I mm-hmm. mean, the Meg is going to make more money than First Man. I mean, it yeah. just is, and 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 that might be because the protagonist in First Man is not emotionally accessible, or there's the stakes aren't there, or whatever's going on in First Man that makes makes it feel slow, makes people watch. I mean, I don't think the word of mouth is going to be good, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think that anyone's doing. Like I don't think Ryan Gosling's doing a, a bad job as as Neil Armstrong. I don't think Neil Armstrong necessarily was a very dynamic person. They were trying to find well, what's the way into this movie? Mm-hmm. But you can see that like, who would think like, oh, first man, you know, written by the guy who wrote Spotlight and and The Post and and mm-hmm. that movie next to the Meg, but the Meg <laughs> directed is by the, the guy who directed La La Land. And right, Whiplash. and it's like and Whiplash, and it's yeah. been nominated, and is this wonderkind type of director, and then you've got the Meg over here, and the Meg is cru- is going to crush First Man, yeah, and it's not because oh, 
audiences are dumb. No, audiences have our heart and blood and they want suspense and they want definable conflict. They want to have something to like be like worried about. And it's mm-hmm. like, and if you're not able to kind of deliver that mm-hmm. in in the you know the, the the Star Wars pictures or whatever, when it's delivered, it's delivered well and when it's not, I mean it's like that's what happened in Wonder Woman. It's the same thing. I mean, it just, you had a likable thing. They set up these things and it went through and we were able, people were dialing into her mm-hmm. and loving her mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's why it, it did the way it did what it did, you know? I was going to ask about uh, that because I've, because whether people like First Man or don't, a thing that I hear a lot is about the portrayal of Neil Armstrong and, and Ryan Gosling's choices as an actor. Like, it is odd that he, it, that, as he can be tremendously charming right. in something like La La Land, but there's an odd strain in his career of playing sort of distant characters. Like if you drive, look at drive, for, God, right. God, God forgives, forgives, place beyond the pines. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and I just find it, I find myself wondering like, what is it about him either as an actor, or as a person or whatever that draws him to these types of characters? He's got a, he's got a low key thing going on that definitely, but I don't think that Ryan Gosling is the issue with first man. I think he's actually would have been fine. I just think it's, I just think it's the director and the storytelling. I just think that they could have started the picture in a different place mm-hmm. uh, and compressed the time. I mean, you know, it's just like, it's like when the boat's going down, the shark killer. You know, we have that setup. We we understand what the what the stakes are. We're like, this is a bad situation. I understand why it's a bad situation. Mm-hmm. You know, but we didn't understand about the space race. It's not in the movie. It doesn't. We don't understand. Well, why is this important? Mm-hmm. Why do we have to do this? Mm-hmm. Why does this have to happen? Why are people losing their lives over this? What is it with the Russians? What does it matter? Mm-hmm. It's it just. It's not to find it's just mm-hmm. literally screenwriting exposition stuff um, you know mm-hmm. that you're like everybody's in that we're bored because we don't get that sense of alarm of like you don't get the sense of like it's not if for some reason they just didn't i don't know why somebody just, i guess it's like it feels really basic but why don't you just explain why this is crazy to be on top of a rocket <laughs> uh-huh. and being like set, I mean can you can you somehow break that down and figure it out so that the audience goes this is insane what they're uh-huh. doing this is completely yeah. risky this is why he has to sit down with his children and and basically explain that he might not come back mm-hmm. and and but 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 that when that scene is you know happens it's like we still don't understand why this is dangerous. And so if you don't define the peril, which is, you know, Jaws and stuff or whatever these things where we're able to, we're, we're like, oh, this is problem. Half the Avengers are disappearing into the atmosphere. And this guy's just got, he's gotten to, st- we've never seen out of the entire arc going back to Favreau's first Iron Man, we've never seen Tony in this situation and this yeah. is scaring the crap out of us and and so we understand the stakes he is in trouble 100% we totally understand what's going on but that's not first man you don't understand the stakes you don't understand yeah. the peril you don't you can't define the danger and that's not Ryan Gosling i mean if you had all that other stuff and he was still soldiering through it probably it might have made a really great fit i am so, so I, curious yeah. to see it I'm so curious to see it because I'm thinking I think of like it's beautiful on the big I, ha- screen I also too. haven't seen the right stuff, but I've read the right stuff, hmm. and 
I do like the right stuff a lot. Yeah. Okay. Is that so? Because I haven't seen it, is that a movie where do you, do you feel like that kind of gets the emotion right? I think or, the the energy and excitement and and urgency because it cover. I mean, you've read the book, so it yeah, covers a long period, a of long time, time, and you see the astronauts, and you just see kind of the there's the thrill of discovery and okay. this idea that oh, we're figuring something out, and yeah, it's risky, and then you actually see some people yeah, not right. make it. And so it's like, okay, right. there's the risk. And okay. you know what? We're going to keep going yeah. because we think it's worth it. And so I feel like, yeah, I mean, I do feel like the right stuff is kind of the gold standard. I'm a big fan of Apollo 13 as well. Yes. Very good. So. Well, yeah. And so I'm wondering, I'm just trying to put all these pieces together. I'm still very excited to see it because yeah, I yeah. like Chazelle just as a as a director. Right. Yeah. So I'm interested to see, even if it's sort of a misstep, how it's a misstep but yeah. i'm wondering i wonder if those two movies you just listed two really yeah. popular well-regarded movies i think yeah. those are the did movies those that, get in his head and kind of well, scare him I think, I think into just, trying to do something think, so think, different yeah or something I like think that on paper it was like okay we're gonna we found we found a way to um sell the emotional like why we should care about this protagonist because mm-hmm. he's such a kind of an internal guy so they they on paper they had a theory about how they were going to execute this thing but ultimately I don't think it was enough and I think that if you again if you don't sell like if if other people die but then it's like but are they getting in the same situation what were they testing what is it i mean it just wasn't huh. it just it just wasn't sold properly and then they had so much of this sort of family stuff and i just don't think it will work i mean i think that you read the reviews i don't, I, I you can see it it's i don't think it's i don't think when people say oh it, he made an art film it's not an art film that's like saying that um the the movie that won best shape of water is an art film which is mm-hmm. shape of water is definitely more spacey and art filmy and everything than huh. first man was but there was something more definable about what we were getting invested in right and there was something more wondrous about it and people just had a more gratifying experience no. so it performed well at the box office because people walked out the shape of water and said you can go see it that's why stars born is going to make a fortune and it's going to be probably win a number of awards because people are responding to it you know they are responding to it and the word of mouth is good but first man i don't and i wish i don't and i don't really i'm not like oh i wasn't angry after i saw the movie like man that that's sloppy it was like it just it just i just think that they just didn't crack it yeah go ahead do you feel like okay so having not seen the film myself but if i am i hearing you right when i say that that it sounds as though First Man is almost purely an intellectual exercise and forgets to be an emotional one. I, I think I think it's I think it's 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 about a man's family, so it is trying to be an emotional one. It's not intellectual. It's just that this because the conflict is not defined in a in, it's not well articulated, mm-hmm. and it's not and the stakes are not defined in that. If they're defined well, then you would if you're like okay you're going to go up in this thing that you could die on or whatever. And we're rushing this and we're not taking the time to really slow down and make sure that this is safe. I mean, if you define all that, then, then the kids, the stuff with the children, it, the emotion is going to be there. But without the definition of conflict and stakes, um, then we're like, okay, I guess we're supposed to be worried. He's not going to see his kids again, but I don't really know. Like, 
I, 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 I haven't seen the shark and I can't see the boat shrink sinking and I can't see the, the capable people hmm. and I haven't been shown that he hates water. Yeah. Like all those things mm -hmm. set us up to be like, oh my God, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And you don't have that in First Man. You don't have those elements expressed and that's, and it's just, that's what's gotta happen. And again, who's the person in the room? What's going on? And I mean, I had, Thing is, there's, there's issues with Spotlight in the post and stuff that were about stakes and definition of conflict as well, like not really nailing that stuff. And, yeah. it, 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 and, and that's really what it is. So, yeah. I actually just, so, just showed Spotlight to my uh, college class a couple days ago. Um, we were talking about acting, and I wanted to show that because there's so many different types of performances in it. But I've seen Spotlight several times, and I'm kind of a sucker for journalistic films just because it's just this so much information but the one thing that it that it never quite does and i and i i feel like this this kind of fits into what you're talking about is that they're constantly saying like the church is going to come after you it's going to come after you and they mention here and there about like oh the church is trying to get this one guy to spart okay that's a very clear understandable thing that it's trying to do but it there's this there's a constant promise of a threat, but we never actually see. Yeah, any of when the something happens, when somebody does something in The Sopranos, and they do the wrong thing in The Sopranos, <laughs> and the audience, we all go, "You are fucked now!" Right. Like, yeah. you, you, we know that it, you're in that world. You do something, and there wasn't a Sopranos Catholic, you know, Catholic Church <laughs> Sopranos thing where it was yeah. like, it was like. Why are they doing that? And the problem with Spotlight that was that I thought was a complete, you know, complete misfire. And I mean, it won Best Picture, and I think it won Best Sweet. Oscar for writing. Yeah. And, and but absolutely was a misfire. Was the character of Ben? I think it wasn't Ben Bradley, but it was the guy who came up from Miami, Lee Schreiber. Yeah. He comes up and he goes, "Well, why aren't you guys?" Um, working on this yeah. and and that guy comes in I gave this stuff to you five years ago the story was about how the Boston Globe was enabled the church mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. that they let the story slide yeah. for years and there's John Slattery's character I think he might play Ben Bradley he, he plays Ben Bradley Jr. Jr. right yeah. so he plays him oh. and he says at one point they just kind of go yeah, we couldn't and there's that uh, moment where he's with the prosecutor they're, they're at the Billy Crudup plays the yeah. prosecutor and he goes he goes we were already and he's yelling so the the actors read the script and they were playing a different they were playing a different story mm -hmm. which was the story of which I thought would have been better but I think that they were so embedded with the Boston Globe yeah. and the, so the story was an all the president's men story about how the Boston Globe cracked the story yeah. but for me the movie and it was lingering in the in there, the script it is in there that's yeah. the movie is the movie is like I would have loved to seen Keaton with that kind of protein in the third act where he yeah. has to come to grips with I got blood on my hands. We all do. We blew it because we were scared of the church. We took too long yeah. to crack the story. And we had to have some guy from Miami come up, an outsider come in and be like, what the hell? You guys have been sleeping with the enemy and you blew it. And, and I, to have them come to that crossroads, that would have been braver. And because that would have been reflective of all the enabling yeah. that has been gone on in society that continues to yeah. go on. And they missed that. And I that. think and there's it, a, there, isn't there one moment or something when Keaton shows them a newspaper from like 
five years ago. They show well, something. It showed to him and I and by Rachel McAdams, and then at the very end, like they're just about to run right. the story, and right. he brings it up that like, yeah, it was brought to me, but. And and I absolutely agree with you. Like the actors are playing it and playing it right. wonderfully. I think right. like right. they like Slattery and Keaton and I think Jamie Sheridan uh, is in a few scenes and he's yeah. marvelous. And they're really playing like a very deep seated shame and guilt. And you see it right. manifest itself in certain way in in Ben Bradley and then this other character Jim Sullivan. They get kind of defensive. And you're not really sure what they're defensive of because they didn't necessarily do anything. It's this feeling of like, yeah, but I didn't do enough. So there's like a shame there. There's mm-hmm. a guilt there. And it's why I think it's a, such a wonderfully acted film. I think it's kind of, you know, the nominations it got were supporting actor for Ruffalo and supporting actor right. for Ma- Rachel McAdams. But I think Liev Schreiber's doing marvelous work. Yeah. I think Michael Keaton's doing great work. Um, Stanley Tucci, I remember you yes, You saw it before I, I did. And you yeah. said, keep an eye out for him. Right. And he's marvelous. Yeah. Um, because you, yeah. you get a bead on exactly where he's coming from, what yeah. he wants to happen, and the history he's had with yeah. trying to make it happen and it not happen. That movie did always feel ever so slight to me. Well, it's like, a, it was like there was that moment when they're running across the newsroom and it was almost like, okay, you guys got to run. You got to do the Woodward and Burr scene running <laughs> scene now. And I was yeah. like, that's not motivated. It's well, not there was- motivated. And I was like... It's just like they they wrapped that thing up, yeah. And it was just it to me it bothered me. It was like not like first man doesn't bother me. That bothered me because I was like, you know, that that's sort of it's not responsible. It's like tell the story. You guys didn't report the story because because of some reason and you kind of yeah. dropped the ball. It's clearly in the script. It's in the performances. Billy Crudup is selling that. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 one victim that comes in with yeah. all the stuff. I gave this stuff to you yeah. five years ago in the first day. I'll say that. Uh, so every year we do our BP Awards, and we have a category called the Bruce McGill Award. Sorry, the Bruce McGill and the Insider Award for Best Performance Under 15 Minutes. Uh, and Neil Huff plays that character, and he won. And he actually sent in an acceptance speech. Ah, he doesn't yeah. get a trophy or anything. Right, right. It's all digital. Uh, but yeah, and because he's so there, you really get a sense of urgency and brokenness, yeah. and like yeah, he's and, great. And it's all of these. It's it, there. Are, it is one of the reasons that I really respond to the movie is because the whole cast is doing great work, even if you're in one scene or you're one of the leads. Like it's just, and everybody's really selling. It's kind of this almost this tapestry of characters. And they sell it. And I think the script has a good form of momentum and all that kind of thing. It's a movie that I find myself watching. But to go to your point about it being slight, how am I so, okay, how am I so comfortable watching a movie dealing with such horrible stuff? I don't watch Schindler's List that easily. Right, right. You, know, like, it you feels- should not be able to watch Spotlight more than once. <laughs> You yeah, shouldn't, right? It you shouldn't, shouldn't be not. a page turner. No, it should be one time, and you just—I'm never going to watch Twelve Years a Slave again. I'm just That's not. True. Yeah, I mean, are you going to watch that movie? Again? I might watch I'm it not. again. Yeah. And, but, I don't, and I don't. But 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 not because it's not reflective. Right, right. But I just—it's that. But not because it's easy. Right. Because it's so remarkable. Right. In being yeah. so difficult, I wish Spotlight was like forty-five minutes longer hmm. and about seventy percent harder to watch. Right. Not that I'm asking to see scenes of like molest station but like i want to see more interviews with victims and like them really describing it yeah so that you have such a deeper sense of exactly what's going on and see more threats and see more scenes of these characters just really coming to grips that like well, yeah our I, job is to 
I think it's expose the, this stuff. I think it's the gravitational North Star magnetism thing of all the president's men, and all the president's men was this victory picture, and um, you know about taking down a president over like a small little burglary yeah. thing, and so you you were it was a cheering you were cheering on and Ben Bradley right. is like print it you know you're yeah. just like you're and like, it's got you're, the deep throat thing yeah like, the adrenaline yeah. there but think about that it's like this is about where was the deep throat element yeah. in spotlight there wasn't that sort of mm-hmm. like you know when they're just they manufactured suspense in that where it's like mm-hmm. be very careful you know like and you yeah. got a sense of like they were gonna you know like you know redford has that you know they're like looking around and mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's obviously was put in there, but they were scared, yeah. and that was that was part of it, and that was mm-hmm. sold well in the movie. But yes, there's spotlight. But to go back to what we were talking about way earlier, but to wrap it up with, or to wrap this in yeah. with it, and we might need to start wrapping up in general. Okay, right now. I feel like this is going to be a very emotional year at the Oscars, and I don't mean that in in that emotion is bad. I just mean like something like A Star Is Born, where it's a very big emotional and yeah. emotionally satisfying movie from what I've heard. Haven't seen it yet. Um, but I feel like that is going to rise to the top versus something like First Man. I feel like First Man's probably going to get some nominations and it's going to do okay there yeah. because I think people see it uh, they see it as a movie having certain kinds of craft. Yeah. And so I think they're going to reward that. But in terms of the movie they want to talk about, the movie they want to see again, I think it's going to be something that's much more emotional. Uh, like Which if, might like be if something Beale Street like, could talk. Like if Beale Street could right. talk, yeah. could be something like Roma, Roma. where it's extremely oh, personal. Oh, that's good. that'll be the one. I, yeah. I genuinely think that's going to be the one. Yeah, yeah. I saw the so trailer. I, it was, you know, I mean, I can't wait to see it. Looks looks brilliant. It does. Looks really yeah. good. And, and it's nice because it's like, I feel like, you know, you just, we want to be able to have it even if the movie is coming out on Netflix or whatever, it doesn't matter anymore because we just want, you know, cinema to be out there that's going to inspire people to make pictures and yeah. use the form and, and, you know, be able to use that storytelling. So. Now, I want to make sure people don't hear what we're not saying. Okay. If I can put it that way. Because we've been talking a lot about, like, this movie's not doing something well because it's not it's not clear or it's, you know, it's being too slight or something like that. We're, we're not saying... Give me, give me a scene where you just spell everything out. Right. We're saying use the craft of storytelling. Show us. Give us great writing that is clear, that's focused, and that you can actually really just, just guide us through. Don't just expect us to figure it all out. Right. Or, or, or kind of. I, I feel like sometimes filmmakers will will just sort of leave it to the audience as a way of not having to sort of make more powerful or more demonstrative choices. And I know that I don't typically respond to that. I do think some of the sort of uh, film critic community does respond to it a lot more than I do. I I do think that, yeah, uh, we did an episode about this sometime in the last few months, like the concept of exposition and that it's like the word, like melodrama, it's kind of a dirty word among some people. It's like, no, if you, you can do it right, and it can be incredibly powerful, you know, exposition done right, like in the mouth of the right actor. And if you, you, you got to be really careful in how you write it. So it doesn't yeah. just seem like you're looking right at the camera and saying, all right, pay attention. Uh, but there is a way to do it. And, you know, one of my speaking of it's not exactly a journalistic movie, but it's another like info dump, which is JFK. 
which I think, I mean, so many, there are yeah. monologues of information that come out, but I think it's written wonderfully, played wonderfully, and Oliver Stone just was a very, had a very active camera. It's artful and it's suspenseful, yeah. yeah. I think laziness can sometimes masquerade as mystery. Mm. I think I think what that's sometimes what happens, is you go, well, I'm not gonna, I don't know what choice to make, yeah. so I hope they think it's mysterious. Yeah, it's almost just so like, That was the end of Birdman, it was like, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like, we're just not gonna sit in the chair and figure out what the ending is, we're just gonna, put something that's sort of ambiguous and even the writer the writers admitted to that they're like well we didn't really know we don't really know so it's like you create this yeah. sort of like ending that yeah. it's like it, it's like when you're consciously like oh we'll just make it ambiguous yeah. to yeah. you know to solve our problem the because fact, then we get we, credit we yeah, get yeah. credit for another figuring one, it out but we don't have one to figure it out and one for, for one oscar for screenplay yeah. so there, is there any other ones i need to tear apart that, <laughs> that i need to criticize any other best uh, you know but uh, yeah that's but that's that's where we're at. I think it's like there's still these. It's difficult to have um, right these days. I mean, it's just I don't know. The writing's all all over the place with television and everything. So I'm not sure what's going on. But but it's it's still difficult to be able to execute execute this stuff. But yeah. if only there were some kind of place for novice writers to submit their work and have it judged. <laughs> Uh, maybe even compete with other writers. Oh, if only there, there was something like that. There go you to go. your thoughts. There you go. Well, <laughs> Tyler. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you'll, you guys story. will all check out the link. I'm sure he'll have it below in the <laughs> podcast description. But looking forward to seeing you. you guys probably all know about Blue Cat. And we have a bunch of free content talking about all these things I've been talking about. And um Love to have you come over to the website and participate. We're also on, we have a really active Facebook group right mm -hmm. now. It's mm -hmm. like a really strong group. I think it is right, it's as busy as the Reddit screenwriting group <laughs> right now. And people are very helpful. And mm -hmm. um, that's, that, I encourage people, uh, I just encourage people like, you don't have to spend money to learn how to be a great writer anymore. You don't, you can download scripts, you can watch free videos, you can, there's great stuff on YouTube. Yeah. And, um, you know, so definitely, uh, that's what's, it's really wonderful about right now that you don't have to, you can get a lot, you can write for free. Um, definitely. And there's, there's something to be said, like you don't necessarily need to take a class or anything like no. that but there is something to be said for like an academic environment which is to say surrounded by people that are also creatively minded and Absolutely. if you can do that online yeah that's fine yeah the structure of i mean if you want to engage in an online course or with you know ucla or whatever i mean it, absolutely i've taught <laughs> i teach too and and i you know, do all that stuff. So I, I find merit. I just always want to encourage people because I think they hear me talk about blue cat or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I would rather people keep working on their scripts than send us their scripts, hmm. you know, because it's like, mm -hmm. if you feel like it's not ready, I'm not like, well, I don't know matter what shape it is. Just, just send me your submission fee. It's like, no, it's, it's like, it's you know we're all about just developing writers and i know as a writer that wouldn't be that i wouldn't be on being honest you know it's like it, it but it yeah absolutely and i do feel like i'm a, i can argue before and against education i think people don't need to pay for education to like develop themselves as writers and filmmakers and storytellers but the structure of a program or a class or anything Somebody i anyone is like for a deadline uh, absolutely. yeah absolutely a syllabus, giving grade, yourself a deadline yeah. 
yeah. give if you're in a if you can get in a writers group where you're reading each other's stuff and you you're holding yeah. each other accountable for page even just pages and especially if you can hold each other accountable to rewrite Mm-hmm. Because it's like sort of the air can go out of the room after like, all right, we all wrote these things and now, well, let's write something else. And it's like, hold on, we probably need to rewrite these pages. That's why we wrote them. Yeah. Uh, so I've, I've been uh, doing some script consulting myself for the last few years. And uh, Tyler at scriptconsulting.edu. No? Seems odd that I would have gotten that uh, <laughs> URL. No, uh, you can... <laughs> You can email me Tyler battleshipretention.com if you're interested, or you can check out uh, various uh, uh, testimonials. So if it's at through Tyler Battleship Smith. Pretension, does David get a cut of that money? It's a good point. Go to tylersmith82.com <laughs> to read other people's comments on my comments. Um, but one of the things that I... Uh, they're favorable, by the way. Um, I didn't include the ones that weren't. Uh, one of the things that I say is, like, I am happy to, to help you with your script. Nothing before a third draft. Uh, just because like you got to get your own stuff worked out cause you'll probably have notes for yourself after you that should first have notes draft. For yourself. Yeah. And probably after the second one too. Uh, and part of what I do is like, you know, I have a Skype meeting with people for a couple hours and then, um, and then I don't charge as much for the next round cause I want to try to incentivize a few version, uh, you know, a few rounds of this, not so that I get more money, but, and there was, there was this one woman that, uh, we did like three rounds of it and it was so exciting to see her script actually get like notably better. Mm-hmm. And I also just say like, here are 10 movies that are very similar to what you're doing. Yeah. Either a watch them and see what to avoid or B, you know, well also like see what you might accidentally over overlap with and avoid that. But also like, yeah, sometimes the best education for being a writer or actor or director is just watching other movies. Right. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, that all the discussions we've had tonight, I mean, I walk in with that, that's part of my helmet walking in is mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to appreciate and, and validate again, what works, what doesn't work. And I always walk out of a movie, no matter what, and be like, why are people why are people divided about last Jedi? What's happening? It's not mm-hmm. the social justice warrior stuff or any of this other stuff going on. It's yeah. like what's the screenwriting ABCs that's happening here right. that's 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 not unifying the audience like it did behind a Black Panther, behind an yeah. Avengers, yeah. behind um, you know, another yeah. get out or whatever. And I and I'll say this like just about Last Jedi. It's a movie that I really liked, but from a screenwriting standpoint, it's like get rid of that fucking casino sequence. <laughs> like, he's like, you know, there's a ticking clock, right? Like your friends need you. I don't care if you want to free these animals, go help your friends who, by the way, are the entirety of the resistance. Yeah. If yeah. they die, everyone's dead now. But I yeah. guess you've got points to make about uh, like, Oh, the rich yeah. and all that. And it's like, that's one where like, yeah, you could say like, Oh, they're making a social justice. That, I don't care about that. But it's the idea of like, you're losing. You're now losing the thread that you've spent a long time setting up. That's not. It's just not great screenwriting. I mean, yeah. that yeah. bottom line. You watch the picture. It's just not. There's not execution. It's not about like, oh, we don't. We're blowbacking on it because we wanted Luke to be different. I wasn't looking at any of that. I look at the no. same thing as any other picture. I'm like, why isn't this working? Why are people bored? Why is this flopping at the office? Why did Why did the predator disappear from the theaters? Yeah, it didn't disappear from the theaters because. Olivia Munn had an awful experience, you know, and she was awesome 
to say something about it and awesome in the picture. I mean, mm. she's great. She's awesome. I love her. And it was a perfectly, I think it was handled well or whatever, that whole sort of controversy. That wasn't why Predator disappeared. Yeah. It disappeared because it didn't work. Screenwriting, yeah. it was like, it was like, we don't know who these people are. We don't care. We, you know, yeah. this is fake. We're, you're jumping. Where were we? We were just here. Now we're here. I'm lost. Mm -hmm. It's not credible. The logic is, is getting hit hard. You yeah. know, all those things that screenwriting ABC, screenwriting meat and potatoes. And if you're not going to deliver, it has nothing to do with social. It doesn't have anything to do with, oh, this is not, isn't working because of the flag. You know, people are going to say first man's not working because they didn't put the flag on the moon. It's like, it's not it. No. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do because the flag is all over that movie. It's an American, very patriotic movie. It's not lost in there. I don't, you know, I didn't even think, I thought, oh, where's the flag? But I didn't think about that. All I was thinking about is like, the stuff we were talking about, absence yeah. of definable conflict and things like yeah. that. I just realized in the Last Jedi because rewatching it, mm -hmm. and I'm 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 pretty in the middle on it. But one thing I admired about it was how many of the characters' goals were failures. Like yeah. it's a movie very much about failure and failure of oh we're gonna do this and it's gonna work and it keeps failing. But the casino sequence is the one time where like. They kind of get a little victory, yeah. And it feels, and it does feel like, why are why are we fighting that fight right now? Yeah. Like, why aren't we fighting the fight that we came here to fight? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, the character. It's if you're you're comparing it to the second, you know, the second picture, um, Empire Strikes Back, in terms of like the sequence of that. You know, we we're we already know Hansel. We we are already invested. We know we have familiarity with these characters, and you introduce another character. It doesn't matter what her gender, ethnicity, or anything. You you introduce no, a new I character. Think she's we quite don't good in the have movie. history as an audience with them. We're just not going to be emotionally invested as much. Yeah. You introduce all these new characters. We kept tracking back to the other ones, and when she mm. has a higher, more active profile than Skywalker. Mm -hmm. You're rolling the dot. That's risky. Hmm. That's yeah. risky. And there you go. So anyway. All right. And there you go. So and there we go. <laughs> so I'll be here tomorrow night with you. <laughs> keep, keep going. You're well you're welcome. You're welcome back anytime. Let's hope it's not another another five years. No way. Time. Come on, man. So. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh well thank you so much. So uh Blue is it Blue Cat? Blue Screenplay? Cat Screenplay.com, okay. Blue Cat Screenplay Competition. All right. Yep. Type it in, you'll get there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. So, thank you, Gordy, so much for being here. This is Tyler, Jason. Jason, thanks for filling in for David. Jason was awesome. Listeners, <laughs> once again, if you want to, German listeners, if you want to hang out with David, David at battleshippretension.com. He loves meeting his fans. All right. <laughs> He's gonna, I'd say he hates hearing that. He's not going to listen to this. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, thank you everybody for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.